0: And I had so many clients reach out to me and they were like, you are leading by example. They were like, you have no idea how much I needed to hear this, that it's okay to take a break, that it's okay to like put yourself first. And then it's okay to put your body first, right? In a way, that's really what we're talking
1: about. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to That's So Maven. It is the official first episode of Season 5, Episode 112. I'm thrilled to be back here after taking the past six weeks off, just giving myself some time to recuperate and just reflect a little bit on the last four years of the podcast and four seasons and prep for this coming season and some changes that we wanted to make. And I'll be quite honest, I thought I needed a bit more space because generally trying to manage, you know, the blog, the podcast, YouTube, all the things that are going on, it feels a little bit overwhelming. And so I tend to take breaks with each and also just need a little time off to just reflect and be able to get some creative inspiration. This summer, I wasn't feeling so much that I needed to take the break. I felt like I was kind of on top of things and that things were going well, but I know myself well enough to know that if I don't implement these breaks, then things tend to catch up with me. And so I'll be honest, I had some moments where I was like, what am I doing with my time? And I realized I'm going to take this time to do a bit more self-reflection, just give myself the time to think back on the last seven years of this crazy journey from when I started the Healthy Maven to now and I'm turning 30 in just a few weeks which is so crazy to think about and it's just made me you know reflect and appreciate certain things that have happened look back on things that maybe I could have done differently and just learned from the experience and also think about what I want to see moving forward and What I now know for certain is that there will be changes. As to what those changes are, I'm trying to figure that out. I'm just being fully transparent here. I don't really know what my next moves are going forward, which is totally weird as a Virgo planner to not really know what's coming up next. I've learned to surrender to whatever this path has to hold for me and just keep moving forward. But I can sense that things are going to move in a different direction. I just don't know exactly what direction that is, which means there could be changes here on the podcast or maybe not. And that was challenging for me moving through these past six weeks of wanting that answer. Like, what direction are things going to go in? What changes am I going to make? What things am I going to shut down? Where am I going to focus my attention on? And I was hoping that by the end of this time, I would have the answers, and I don't. And that's okay. And I think a lot of people can relate to that sense of transition, knowing it's coming, knowing that you need to make changes for yourself to make things more sustainable and to just you know, really feel like you're living your life to its fullest potential, but not really knowing what those moves are yet. So if you can relate to that, I'm thrilled to know I'm not alone. As for what that means, I don't really know, and that's okay. So for now, I'm just chugging along here, just finding inspiration in my day-to-day and making small shifts in my routine, like, A more consistent morning routine while I'm home. I totally get that when you're traveling, it's really hard to keep up with those things. And I think putting pressure on yourself to maintain those things can make life really challenging. So when I am home, just being more consistent with that morning routine, giving myself that time to self-reflect, more reading, Less watching television because I know that I do that to kind of mind them a little bit, which I think we all need and is totally fine as a form of self-control. But mine was getting a little out of hand as I found myself with more time. So just making more space to read, find inspiration outdoors, be with friends, and just live my life and let the answers come when they come. So stay tuned. We'll figure out what they are sometime in the future. But in my time off, I had the opportunity to check out something new and start implementing some new things when it comes to my workout routine. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about this, but I developed a lot of fear around exercise because I have a history of exercise addiction, and for me, exercise became this thing that if I got too consistent with it, then I would go into a dangerous place, but I've also come to discover that Exercise is actually really good for your mental health and as you guys know, I have been on a journey to figure out how to take better care of my mental health and I've just noticed that working out a couple times a week just feels really good for my brain and I'm just a happier person and that's something that I want to keep up. It has nothing to do with what my body looks like or how much I can lift or you know how many burpees I can do. It's really just about feeling good in my body and in my mind. And having a more consistent routine has been a big piece of that. So I had the chance to try out the Les Mills online program. And I used to do a lot of Les Mills classes when I lived in Toronto because they offered them at my gym. They had body pump and yoga flow and just a bunch of different classes. And they recently launched their online program which has over 800 workout classes. Pretty much every type of class under the sun, including yoga and bar and hit workouts, if you're into that kind of stuff. They pretty much have something for everyone. So they are offering that so Maven listeners a free 30-day trial. Totally free. You can try it out for yourself, decide if you enjoy it and If you want to sign up, it's awesome. It's only $12 a month. And I'm a huge fan of anything that is accessible for everybody because I know a lot of people can't get to gyms or don't have the time to get to gyms or like here in San Francisco when gym memberships are $300 a month. So for $12 a month, you get 800 different workout classes and they're constantly adding new ones. So I will include a link in the show notes to check it out for 30 days totally free. And let me know what workouts you're trying out because I'd love to hear if you try any classes that I haven't tried. But let's transition into today's guest. We have a dear friend of mine, Ashley Neese. Ashley is someone who I met a couple of years ago actually on a retreat. She was my first introduction to breathwork. I have talked about breathwork here on the show. We've had the incredible Kay Ellis on here to chat about breathwork, who is a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco. Ashley also lives in the Bay Area with her partner and her newborn son, and it's been so amazing to watch her journey and follow her gratitude practice and learn more about somatic breathwork. Everybody has kind of a different teaching style when it comes to breath work. Think of breath work kind of like yoga in that there's so many different styles out there. And she came out with a book this year called How to Breathe. And if you don't have it, you need it. It's amazing. It offers so many different techniques and just ways that you can practice breath work in your life for all different situations. So I wanted to have Ashley here on the show. She's also just a ray of light, someone who just being in her presence you feel good. So I know you guys are going to love this episode. Make sure you stay tuned till the end to get some updates and you know all that good stuff. And with that, let's jump into today's episode. Here's Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to have you today. And as we were just chatting about, this has been a long time coming. For the listeners who maybe don't know this, I've actually been on a retreat with Ashley and it was, I think it was about two years ago at this point. So this is way overdue. And I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today and just ask you all the questions that I have. I'm so happy to be here. And yeah, you're right. It was almost two years ago to the day. So Pretty amazing. So crazy. And it's funny because it was on that retreat where I got the inspiration to start Camp Wellness and have a retreat of my own. I just, there was something about that experience where I was like, this is something that I need to create in my life. And I was so inspired by you and just everything that came out of that. So I have you to thank for Camp Wellness. That makes me so
0: grateful and happy. And thank you for sharing that with me. It really means a lot.
1: Oh, of course. And speaking of gratitude, that is something that I love about your platform is how much you bring attention to the small details in life that you can have so much gratitude for. And I feel like you move through life with that intention in mind at all times, but I have a feeling things weren't always that way. So I would love to chat with you a little bit about, you know, who you are and kind of how you got started on this journey.
0: I was definitely not always grateful. That is a practice that I actually adopted when I was in a drug and alcohol rehab many years ago from a 12 step sponsor that I had. And she was really big on teaching me how to learn to be grateful because it wasn't something that I had to practice with at all. And I really felt like, you know, people talk often in recovery and just often in life about hitting these bottoms, you know, and getting to these really dark places. And I had had a few bottoms before I was in rehab, but when I went to rehab and kind of showed up for the first time in my life and was really willing to take a look at myself and look at my pain and look at my trauma and look at a lot of the behaviors that I had and the relationships that I was in, it was super painful. And it was really hard for me to feel or see anything good in that scenario at all. I was like, my life is over. Everything's bad. I'm in so much pain. I've hurt so many people. I've been hurt so many times. Like, how could I ever be grateful for anything? And she started me off really in such a simple way. She was like, okay, can you breathe? And honestly, like the first probably like year of my gratitude practice, it was like, I can breathe. Today I can breathe. And that was it. And it was just that little tiny seed that she planted of continuing to come back to that practice that really it became this overarching theme in my life. And it's not about, you know, finding the good as in like good and bad. It's about what in this moment can I feel? What sensations am I aware of? And where can I find something that's going to make me want to keep going? ultimately, because I really didn't
1: want to keep going at that point. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And, you know, something that I think is common among anyone who has a history with addiction is using some kind of substance to numb various feelings, things that you don't want to experience. What were some of the things that, you know, came up for you that led you to drugs and alcohol?
0: I grew up with a lot of, just a lot of instability. And at the time, you know, I didn't really know what that was. No one was talking about things like developmental trauma. I mean, I had no idea what that was until much later in life. But I grew up in a scenario where I missed a lot of really important developmental milestones as a child. And I also really missed having providers who were looking out for my emotional safety, for my mental safety, And sure, my physical safety was taken care of. And I think a lot of times, especially looking back, it's like, you know, your parents might say something like, oh, well, you know, we took really good care of you because you were safe in a particular way. But what I found now as an adult is that actually I needed a lot more emotional and kind of psychological safety than I did physical safety. And I've had to go back and reparent myself in so many different ways to make up for the spaces in my life that were lacking and the developmental milestones that I missed growing up. And so that was probably the biggest piece. And because I wasn't hitting those milestones and because I didn't have a strong, connected family with boundaries, I did what a lot of young people do. I went and found that with other kids, right? And so I didn't really connect to adults in my life at all because the adults in my life weren't really showing up as you know loving care providers. They did the best I could. And today I'm grateful for what I had. But I think that it's, there's a way in which, especially in recovery, we can kind of just gloss over what actually happened. And I think that for me, it's been really important to be like, no, actually my childhood, yes, there was a lot of privilege. And there were a lot of things that were really shaped who I am. And also there was a lot of hurt and there was a lot of abandonment. And I've spent the better part of the last, you know, 20
1: years undoing a lot of that stuff. And I think this is a common theme that comes up a lot as people reflect back on their childhoods is the sense of abandonment of lacking a lot of that emotional support. And I think it's probably a generational thing. You know, similarly, I grew up in a home that was very much about having those physical needs met and that that was, you know, baseline what a child needs. And as long as they have a roof over their head and food on the table, then you know, they'll grow up to be healthy and happy. And we're learning that, you know, children actually need a lot more than those physical needs met. You know, those are the baseline needs and those are incredibly important, but there's also a lot of emotional and mental needs that need to be met to, you know, develop a sense of self and be able to confidently move through the world. And I think a lot of things that tend to unfold in life as a result of a lot of, you know, these lack of needs being met tend to result in destructive behaviors. You know, at what point did you discover alcohol and drugs as a form of disassociating from some of these feelings? Yeah, I started really
0: young. I started, you know, experimenting and using in middle school. And, you know, that goes back to what I mentioned before, it's like, because the adults in my life weren't really present in the way that, you know, I needed them to be, I was looking to other friends, and I made friends who were in similar situations. You know, we were all kind of these latchkey kids whose parents weren't around. And, you know, growing up in a really big city, we grew up, I grew up in Atlanta, and I lived in town, so in the Atlanta proper. And it was just like, you can imagine what kind of trouble, you know, 12 and 13 and 14 year old young girl can get into. And, Now, as a mother, I'm looking around, I look at like 12 and 13 year olds, and I'm just going, Oh, my God, they're little children, they're little children. And the things that my friends and I were doing were really just, you know, in an effort to, like you said, disassociate, really, at the time, it was like pain management, I was like, how can I manage the sense of feeling overwhelmed? And the marker of addiction is that we're really health seeking, you know, all humans are health seeking. And while, you know, turning to alcohol and drugs isn't health seeking, the reason that I was turning to those things is because my nervous system was so overloaded. I was in a constant state of overwhelm. My stress response was on high alert all the time. I was trying to manage that. And the way that I was managing that was with drugs and alcohol. And so in a way, it actually was very health seeking. It was the only kind of tools that I had around me. I was like hanging out with other kids who were doing the same thing. So in a way, I grew up with all of these friends who all came from all different kinds of homes and we were all just kind of relied on each
1: other and we were each other's family. So at 21, you enter rehab. What kind of transpired to get to a point where you knew you needed more support?
0: Honestly, I had known for a while and I was just really terrified. And my mother had actually suggested at one point a couple of years before I went into rehab, she was like, I think you should try some 12-step meetings. And, you know, that's, you know, the the main form of treatment back then in recovery. And I would drive by the meeting. There was a meeting near my house, and I would drive by the meeting and I would see all the people standing outside smoking. And I was just so terrified to go in. And it was that piece around really looking at myself. I just it's like I knew I needed help, but I just wasn't ready to take that deeper look. And say it out loud. And I definitely didn't want to say it in front of our room full of 60 people I didn't know. And I thought, if I could walk into that room, everyone's going to know there's something wrong with me. <laughs> it's like, yep, that's true. If you walk into a 12-step meeting, everyone's going to know you You might have a problem you know, with something. But at the time, it was just, I didn't want that. I didn't want anyone to look at me. I didn't want to know. I had so much shame. And I just couldn't make that step. And I was able to make that step. A series of events happened. There was you know, sexual assault, I had a couple of abortions from just really, really promiscuous kind of sexual activity. And, you know, at the root of all of it, it just I didn't love myself, I couldn't take care of myself, I treated myself horribly, you know, because that was a direct reflection of how I felt about myself. And I got an opportunity to go to rehab. And for whatever reason, in that moment, I call it God divine intervention. I just said yes. And that was
1: really the beginning of kind of the rest of my life. So you enter rehab, and in it, you're introduced to your, is it a mentor? I'm not sure what the appropriate term is. But she introduced you to something that would change your life, which is breathwork. So I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, your first time experiencing that and what your thoughts were. Yeah, so I had a 12 step sponsor who was really heavy into
0: meditating and breath work, although she didn't call it breath work at the time, it was more just breathing meditation. And, you know, she said, if you want me to sponsor you, here's what you're going to do. You know, you're going to work, do these 12 steps. And then also you're going to start this practice, this personal practice. So it was the gratitude practice that she had me start. And then also this breathing meditation practice. And I was like, sure, you know, I was desperate enough. I was like, sure, I'll try this breathing meditation thing. I have no idea what it is, but I'll try it. And she had me set a timer and she said, okay, I want you to set your timer for, this is even before I had, you know, a smartphone. (laughs) This was quite a while ago. So I set a timer and the little um, halfway house I was living in and I would sit on the edge of my bed and she would just have me count my breath. And it was just like, inhale, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four. She's like, just do that for five minutes. And it was excruciating. It was excruciating. I mean, it was so hard for me to be with myself. I would find every excuse under the sun. And even just honestly, physically sitting on the end of that bed and trying to sit still, my nervous system couldn't handle it because I was so ungrounded. I was so fried. And I was like so used to being in such a hypervigilant state of just always looking around and trying to see what was coming and being in this kind of fear protective mode. So just the act of trying to sit still was very difficult. And I could feel my body in this way that just made me so uncomfortable. I was like, I don't want to feel this pain, physical pain. I definitely don't want to feel this emotional pain because when you slow down and just sit there, even for five minutes, everything is present. And for someone who'd spent so many years trying to block and put down and stuff what was happening in the present moment, it was excruciating.
1: Oh, I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to that in that when you sit down and connect with your breath and allow yourself to just be present in your body. I mean, even even for myself who practices meditation, those first couple of breaths, that first minute, it can be hard. It can be really hard because we're almost consistently in fight or flight mode in our world, you know, the way we move through the world, we're constantly taking in so much information all the time. And, and we need to be hyper aware. And so to allow yourself to become more aware of your immediate surroundings in the sense of like your body and the sensations and your breath, like that forces you to let go of all the other things that are happening. And that can be scary at first.
0: Yeah, it can be really scary. I mean, the thing is, in the way I think about trauma in general, is that it's the experience of being overwhelmed, right? By thoughts, by feelings, by sensation, all of that. Like, that is always a marker of trauma anytime we get into a state of overwhelm. And anything that we experience as a threat is, you know, a trauma. So, and all of that registers in our nervous system. So, as soon as we sit down, <laughs> You know, especially back then in the big, in the early stages for me, as soon as I sat down, it was just like the floodgates were open and there was nowhere else to run and there was nowhere for me to hide and there was nowhere for me to kind of disappear to.
1: So in spite of all of these fears that were coming up and all of these sensations, how did you stick with it or what made you stick with it?
0: That's a really good question. And it's one that I've asked myself. Often over the course of many years, you know, because I have a lot of friends who have gone in different directions over the years, people that I grew up with who've kind of had the success, whether that's inward or outward success, but have kind of overcome a lot of different things, right? And recovered from a lot of things. And some people who haven't and who've actually gone and had just major difficulties for the rest of their lives. And I think there's a couple of pieces. One is for whatever reason, I have been incredibly fortunate to have people show up at my life at the right time. You know, so I had that sponsor come in. And even before that, when all the stuff was going on with my family and my parents were just having such a hard time showing up for whatever reason, they hired this amazing psychologist for me to work with. So it's like I had an ally and I've always had allies, even in the midst of just really horrific and painful experiences. I've had these people in my life and getting sober and coming into meditation and breath work and learning the practices have been no different. It was so bizarre when I was like two weeks into rehab. And at the time I was in college and undergrad, and I had obviously dropped out of school because I was not functioning at all, but I went into rehab and then, you know, made this choice that I knew I wanted to go back to school, but I was super afraid. I was like, how am I going to go back to the place where I was completely, you know, screwed up and, have so much shame and embarrassment, like being the kid who goes to rehab and then comes back to school and it's like, hi everybody. Like I was fucked up and now I'm not. And I just, I had so much shame about that. And I called one of my teachers, just, I don't know why it was just one of those God moments where I called him and I said, I'm really scared to come back to school because I'm sober now and I just, I'm feeling all these things and I'm so embarrassed. And, and he said, you know, I'm 31 years sober. And, and that moment, my heart just completely opened. And honestly, the last 18 years have been like that. It's like every time I have been willing to show up and just sit with whatever it is and take a risk, someone has been there to support me.
1: I think when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, when you show up fully as yourself without shame, the right people are there to answer the call. I'm a true believer in that because in my own experience, that's been the case. People are wanting and willing to support people who are authentically themselves, no matter where they are on their journey.
0: I agree with that 100%. And that has been my experience. That has been my story. And part of me very early on, and my first sponsor said this to me, she's like, you know, you have no idea in this moment just how lucky you are to be able to have gone through everything you've gone through at such a young age and be able to be changing your life at such a young age. She's like, you don't even know like how many amazing things you're going to get to do. She's like, and it's such a blessing to be able to have come from so much pain and turmoil and darkness to be able to go and transmute all of that and share and be of service. She's like, you are here to serve in whatever capacity you are. She's like, but that's why you're here. And that's why you have this desire to just keep showing up it's bigger than you. And that really resonated for me. When I say it's bigger than you, it's not about having a platform and an audience. It's not about that at all. It's just there's an energy that's bigger than you. And there's a reason that you're here and your life is valuable and important.
1: So do you think part of the reason you know people have gravitated to you when you started to build your health coaching business? I mean, From what I understand, at first, like you didn't even realize you were building a health coaching business. But do you think people were gravitating towards you because of your experience and because you were so open and honest about it? Yes, I
0: do. And I've gained so much experience in 12 step meetings and, you know, speaking in front of very large groups and guiding other people through that work. And I've been doing it for so long that. That part was really second nature to me. I'm really, really good at working with people one on one. I'm really good at showing up and holding space and listening and all those pieces. And I really credit a lot of my 12 step work to that, just really learning how to do that and really learning how to be with people. And, you know, the adage is true that we can only kind of meet people where we've met ourselves and we can only take people as far as we've gone ourselves. And there's a reason that the kind of framework of sponsorship really works because it's peer to peer, it's not like doctor and you know, patient, it really is peer to peer. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm just a couple paces ahead of you. Here's what I know. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I felt. And there's something really magical about that experience because it's an even playing field in a way there isn't this hierarchy of like, Oh, I've, I'm an expert here and I've done this and you don't know anything. It's like, I was where you are. And I still am sometimes. And that level of honesty and and humility has definitely played out in my work. And, and like you said, that was my experience. I started getting really into yoga and eating and, you know, I was always blogging and doing these things. And then I just had friends of mine reach out and they were like, Hey, you, you're doing all these different things. I'd love to learn from you. And so I just started teaching them. And then over time, I realized I was spending most of my energy doing that. And a friend suggested I go and she's like, why don't you take like a health coaching certificate and like do your yoga training, like actually do your training so that you can charge people, you know, and like make a living at this. And I was like, I thought I was Going to be an artist, but, and I was an artist at the time. And I was like, well, maybe this is a different way that my art is shifting now, you know, and it's just translating in another way.
1: You do your yoga teacher training, you start teaching yoga. Will you connect the dots for me how you went from teaching yoga to then teaching breath work? I mean, anyone who's taken a yoga class knows that breath is probably the center and the core of it, but it tends to be a pairing of breath work with asana. So how did things kind of transform for you? So I had been doing so many
0: breath-based meditation practices for so long. And like you said, I mean, studied all of that with my teacher in my yoga training and set out. And I wasn't even thinking when I started the training, I was going to teach. My friend suggested it. And then my teacher, Tony in LA after the end of training, he was like, you've got to start teaching. I was like, I don't know. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I want you to just call some studios and just get a gig. I was like, is that how it works? He's like, yep, yeah, just call around. Just ask. Be like, hey, I new. I want to teach. I just did my training with Tony. And I was like, okay, I didn't realize it was that easy. And and it was. I just emailed a couple of studios in LA and then I got classes right away. And it was just one of those things. That, like you said, when we show up and when we're in alignment, it's just the doors open. It wasn't, there was no real work there for me in terms of that piece. Obviously I'd done the work and I'd shown up and I'd done the training and all of that, but I started teaching yoga around LA and I loved it. But what I found in the class was the most interesting part for me was teaching the pranayama, the breathing. And I had asked Tony at one point, I was like, you know, I'm really just interested in teaching the breathing aspect. What do you think about that? And he's like, why don't you try to do some workshops and just see if anybody comes. And I was like, okay, cool. And again, it was like, I had this great teacher who was willing to open up his studio open up his space for me just to practice and to experiment and for me that's the marker of any good teacher it's like how can as teachers can we help the people that we're working with how can we help our students how can we offer them a safe space to grow and to explore and to try things out and to not have to get it right or be perfect and he's like look if two people come that's awesome you know and there was so much love and support and encouragement and I was like yeah He's right. If two people come, it's awesome. And I taught my first breathwork class and three people came and I was ecstatic. I was like, oh my God, three people paid to show up to have me teach them breathwork. This is amazing. And I mean, it was different. You know, my yoga classes were full. I was teaching 30 to 40 people and you know, you pivot and then it it gets smaller, but that's okay. And I loved it. And I taught those three students and I had the most fun. And I felt
1: like I was in my purpose and I just felt like this is exactly
0: what I'm supposed to be doing.
1: So let's chat a little bit about breathwork. It's not something that we haven't talked about on the show before. I mean, our breath is kind of this, (laughs) it's how we stay alive. So there's no way we could live without breath. But for you, what does a breathwork practice mean beyond just like our typical, you know, 24 hours a day we're breathing? Sure. So for me,
0: the breathwork practice means taking time to be with myself. It means taking time to drop into my body and I drop into my body through my breath and I regulate my nervous system through my breath. I ground myself. I bring on my parasympathetic system and I just see what's there, you know, and ultimately it's about inquiry. It's about exploring and it's about feeling whatever sensations need to be felt
1: Definitely. And, you know, for me, when I go into a yoga class or when I begin an at-home practice, that that breathwork piece is so core. It's the beginning of any yoga class. And to skip over that is, I can't imagine going through a practice without feeling that sense of connection. You know, for someone who's listening, who maybe has a breathwork practice through yoga, why might you separate the two? Like, why did you choose to really focus on breath. And for someone who, you know, feels as though they're getting it through yoga, how are things different when you separate the physical movement from breath work?
0: That's a great question. And and I would say that it's a little similar to anyone who's got a yoga practice and maybe a separate meditation practice, right? So it's just another mind body practice. (laughs) For me, the key with having a kind of separate breathwork practice is that it's really about integration, right? When we're moving through asana, you're not integrating while you're moving. You're just not. In order to integrate, the nervous system has to go at such a slow pace and it has to move at a pace that's inherently integrative. And so for me, a big part of breathwork is having the time and space to integrate. And there's so much, even in a given day for me, that needs to be integrated. (laughs) It's just the reality. Like my life moves fast in the sense that you know, things are coming up. I have a partner. I've got a son. I've got a business. I've got a book. It's like things are going and there's a flow there. And it's really important for me to take that time to just let myself integrate it all. Because if I'm not integrating the experiences, then it's going to be really hard for me to kind of get to that next place that I want to go to. So that's a big part of it, the integration.
1: So what does integration mean for you? Like, Do you practice? breathwork daily? Do you practice it throughout the day? You know, for you as an individual outside of being a breathwork teacher, what does your practice look like? It
0: looks so different now with a nine-month-old than it used to. And, you know, I've been practicing for so long in a different, like, my practice is such a reflection of what's happening in my life. And, where I'm living, who I'm with, you know, like just what's going on in general. Um, I always joke like years ago with one of my teachers, he would have me get up and do like three hours of, it was like all the yogic stuff. It's like you take the cold shower and you do the handstands and then you do like an hour of pranayama and then like another hour of like bhakti. And it was like, it was intense, you know, but I was single then and that was my life. And it was great. I did like three and a half hours of really intense practice starting at 4am every morning and was loving life. And that is not what my life looks like today at all. In the morning, I wake up and usually I wake up a little bit before my son, maybe five or six minutes before him. And I breathe in bed and I just lay there and I breathe and I connect to myself. I connect to my intention for the day. I connect to my body, kind of say hello to my body. Like, hello, body. Good morning. How are we feeling today? Let's do a check-in. And those check-in moments with the breath work are really important. Like I need to kind of know what I'm working with in any given day, especially now that I'm getting a lot less sleep than I used to. So it's important for me to have that time to myself. And then I'll get up with him, I'll feed him, we'll do our thing. And then oftentimes I'll go back after he's kind of up and ready and I'll do another like, you know, 10 minute practice just alone. And that is really important to me, but I don't always get that. And so sometimes it's just, I'm breathing in bed
1: with my son in the middle of my partner. And (laughs) then that's
0: my practice for the day.
1: So the thing about breathwork is that there isn't a single practice, right? There's so many things that you can do. You can practice for energy. You can practice for sleep. And that's one of the many reasons why I love your book, because it provides all of those resources. You know, for someone who is like, okay, I don't totally understand what this means. (laughs) What would you say to them would be the biggest benefit of having a breathwork practice? Yeah. I mean, there's so many. I
0: think that some of the biggest pieces in terms of benefit over, and this is over a, and I stress this, like consistent long-term practice. And the thing that I love about breathwork is that you can, if you're in a heightened state of stress, you can do a breathwork practice to start to regulate your nervous system right away. You know, there isn't this like, oh, I've got to do this for six months before I find a benefit. Like you will feel a benefit right away, just like you will in a yoga class. You go to that first yoga class and you're like, whoa, that was really hard, but there's some benefit there. So you will get benefit from practice right away. But in terms of like the kind of overarching themes with emotional intelligence, with really learning how to reduce your anxiety over a long period of time, with getting better sleep, with being able to cultivate this kind of relational intelligence
1: that a lot of us are looking for that happens with consistent practice over time which brings me to my next question how do you commit to a consistent practice because this is something that's been really difficult for me you know what are your best tips for developing that consistency i think the biggest thing in the
0: beginning is just to get really clear on your intention And I think trying to develop a practice without an intention is never, it never really holds, right? And so we've got to find the glue and the glue is in the intention. The glue is in the why, why, why are you doing this? Why do you want to do this? Why is this important? Like how can we connect to that piece? Because if we can connect to why we're doing it, why it's important, then it becomes easier to do it, especially on the days when we're like, Ugh, do I really want to practice? Why am I practicing? Oh, that's why I'm practicing. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna go get on my mat. Oh, I'm just gonna sit up in bed for five minutes and breathe and connect to myself. I think it's like we've got to figure out what our intentions are.
1: Well, I could imagine that as a new mom. Well, you may have the best of intentions. That isn't necessarily something that you have a lot of space for when you're caring for a newborn, or even you know, as a mother when you're caring for a child how do you continue to connect with those intentions when life gets busy and chaotic and you have tiny humans who who need your support? It happens
0: very incrementally. So a big part which I had mentioned before was just like that, like right when I wake up, it's that first thing because often in life and especially with kids, it's like once everyone's up, it's like, we're off to the races, right? And it's like, we're just going all day and Yeah, it's great when I can put my son down for a nap. And then oftentimes when I'm home, I just curl up in bed with him and take a nap myself. I'm going with the flow of the day. And for me, it's really important to be able to be open to that flow and to have a lot of flexibility in my day. There's no room for rigidity with a child. It's just not even like on the menu of options. So I've had to learn to be really flexible. And I've had to learn to kind of take my, you know, However, many hours a day I was spending doing self care before, and really whittle it down to like what is essential. And I've had to edit my life in a particular way so that it works for me right now. And would I like to spend more time doing some of my practices? Of course. And I have a child and I love him, and this is what it is right now. So there's an aspect of being flexible, there's an aspect of being really gentle with myself. I think, as parents, most parents I talk to, we are just inherently so hard on ourselves we're so hard on ourselves. And so I think bringing gentleness into every aspect of my life, especially around how I'm showing up and taking care of myself is really important. And really making sure that I get some chunk, even if it's 10 minutes, you know, my fiance and I have this joke, we're like, can we just get like 10 or 20 minutes a day alone to just do whatever it is we need to do, whether that's take a bath, whether that's do a meditation practice, whether that's pull out the foam roller, whether that's just you know, sit there and stare at the wall, I mean, well, whatever the thing is that we need to do. It's like, and he and I really support each other to get that time in because we both know how important it is. And so as a parent, that's key is having a partner who's on board and who's like, yeah, I can see how it's so important for you to do your breathwork practice and foam roll at night. So I'm going to take our child and in, into the back so that you can get those 20 minutes to do that for yourself. So that's another like important piece.
1: I think whether you have a child or not, like being able to communicate to your partner, like I need this time for me, however it is that you choose to spend it, that support is so critical. It's very easy to make this time for yourself when you're single, but when you have a partner, you know, communicating that like these are my needs, even if it's 10 minutes or five minutes, having their support is crucial. And I get a lot of questions from people asking, you know, does your partner support your lifestyle? And yes, absolutely. He does. Do we do things differently? Do we like all the same foods? No. Do we, you know, have the same ways of moving our body? Like he hasn't done a yoga class in like 10 years. That doesn't matter to me so long as he is okay with me setting the space aside to take care of myself and his understanding of that and vice versa. And I think that really is a crucial part. I agree wholeheartedly. Like having that support is huge. And you know,
0: with pets, you know, and I know you've got a a dog, it's like you throw pets into the mix too. And then it's like, there's just so many people in the relationship all of a sudden, you know, there's so many different beings here. And so how do we make this work? How do we integrate this? And like you said, how do we ask for what we need, whatever that is. And, you know, my partner has like, when he gets home from work, even if I've been home with Solomon all day, he's like, I just got home from work. I just dealt with people all day. I just need like 10 minutes to go in the back and decompress, because when he comes back out of that room, he's a better dad. And so it's worth it, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And understanding that I think, and, and that's been a journey for me too, is, you know, I, I want to monopolize his time sometimes, but understanding that like, he needs his time too. And yeah. I need my time. And while we love spending time together, we need to be able to show up as our best selves. And that isn't possible if we're monopolizing each other's time. So if anyone has done one of your breathwork classes, they know it's a little different than something you might do in another breathwork class. At least for me, the experience was totally new. And I know, you know, as you have learned more about breathwork and and done more training in that area, you found that there are certain pieces of it that have needed to be updated and more reflective of what life looks like in 2019. And what made you decide to change things and and what changes have you made to update your breathwork practice and the practice that you teach others? So a big part of it was that I
0: used to teach just a handful of practices and after working with clients for so many years and doing so many one-on-one sessions, I just found that I needed to have more tools. And while I was researching, you know, and obviously I practice everything first and I study and I've worked with a lot of different types of teachers and various fields because it also became really like important to me to start to break outside of the yoga and meditation community and study with therapists and study with neuroscientists and study. There's so many amazing people who have a lot of really good information on the body and on the brain and how our nervous system works. And so I wanted to incorporate a lot of other elements into my teaching because it felt really modern. My students were asking for it. People want information. They want to be educated. And I also felt that in the various breathwork communities, there's really only one or two breathing practices that are taught. And I really wanted to differentiate myself as a you know, business and a brand too, to do something
1: different. Absolutely. So one of the other pieces that I love about you is reading your gratitude lists and to me, what really resonates is that it's not just these big things because there's so much to be grateful for in terms of like monumental events, but really those small things that oftentimes I forget about and I read your gratitude list. This is something that you share on Instagram from time to time and also on your blog as well, right? hmm Yes. So how does one start to tune into just those small moments, those small observations, and really feel that sense of gratitude in their body. Because I know, for me, sometimes I'm looking at big picture, I'm missing a lot of those smaller details.
0: For me, it's just been a lot of practice. And so much of my work these days, and especially these last probably four years has been about kind of aligning my mind and body so that they're on the same page. So what I mean by that is oftentimes my mind is going so much faster than my body. Right. And that's the case for most of us. Like our minds are like going hundred miles an hour and our body's like, Hey, just trying to catch up back here. Like, you know what I mean? It's always like trying to play catch up. And so a big part of my personal practice and, and also what I teach is like, how can we, it's that back to that integration. How can we be more integrated? How can mind, body, heart, spirit, like all be moving at a more similar pace and, just that practice alone in slowing down has helped me become aware of so much more. The slower we go and the more intentional we are, the more we can see. And when we're going really fast, we've got that tunnel vision, right? And we're kind of just thinking big picture. And actually slowing down has enabled me to pan out and to take a much like, broader view of my life. And within that, I can see so many more details. Um, and the thing that I love about having a practice is that it works for me, because it slowly changes how I perceive situations, right? So that slow, gradual change in perception is what works. And the more I do it, the more I'm able to see. What's amazing right now is that there's all this research around gratitude and so much research supporting how much it actually changes our brain and the way that we feel in our hearts and just even doing a really simple like end of the day, what are five things you're grateful for? Just by nature of practice, you're going to start to notice more and more subtleties.
1: I think what can be difficult at times is that our society really values people who do more and do bigger, you know, really outdoing yourself and outdoing the people around you. I think what's been hard for me at times is to find that line between challenging yourself and trying new things and creating new material and just new projects while also really valuing and having gratitude for that which already exists. How have you been able to find that space, you know, between feeling fortunate and appreciating all that you have in your life and also making space for creating something new?
0: So there's a couple things. The first one is that around the gratitude, like, I get super specific. And the specificity is really, really important because it actually – keeps my mind really fresh. It keeps me open to new experiences. And it keeps me being able to kind of look at those finer details and notice them and feel them and, you know, be aware of them. I have for much of my life gone really hard and really fast and done a lot. And part of that is because I am a person who has a lot of creative energy. I've just came into the world like that. That's part of my constitution. That's part of my astrological chart. That's part of my human design. (laughs) It's just who I am. And there's another piece of that, which is the trauma piece, right? And the trauma piece that keeps me going and keeps me busy and the piece that keeps me feeling inferior. And like, if I don't produce enough, then I'm not enough. And the more I do, the more that I am. And that is the piece right there that I've done a lot of work on because the other is beautiful. Like it's beautiful to create. It's wonderful to do a lot of different things and have a lot of different projects. It's, it goes back to the intention. Like what is the intention behind it? What am I trying to get out of this? Am I just doing this to share? Am I doing this because I'm passionate about it? Or am I doing this because I feel like I'm supposed to or because I want to be famous or because, you know what I mean? It's like, why are we doing these things? And I had to really get clear on my intentions a couple of years ago. And it, like a lot of people, I was starting to have a lot of health issues because I was going so hard and so fast. And I was like, oh, that's when I really started to have to slow down because my body stopped. My body actually wouldn't let me keep going. And I had to look at that. And to be honest, I had to go through that cycle a couple of times. I had to get sick in a couple of different ways before I really got the message. And it was like, oh, my body is asking me for something. Am I going to keep pushing myself Am I going to keep ignoring myself? Am I going to keep treating my body this way? Or am I going to start to love myself? And by loving myself, am I going to slow down? Am I going to go at a pace that is resonant with my nervous system and resonant with my body? And am I going to do that deeper work of uncovering why I feel like I need to do so much?
1: Mm, Yeah, that resonates hard with me. It's been a lot of undoing in my life of needing to prove myself through my work (laughs) and knowing that the more I do doesn't make me any more lovable or any more of a person that people will respect and love. It's knowing that I already am that and using what energy I have that I want to put towards creative things in that way and that the rest of it I'm allowed to conserve just for me.
0: Yes, yes, you are. That is so accurate. And when I got pregnant, I got to go through this really amazing experience of being really sick and tired in my first trimester and so sick that I had to basically cancel everything but writing my book. And that's already just a lot right there. But I couldn't see clients. I had all these conferences and all the stuff I was supposed to do, literally had to cancel everything. And Then I decided to take an early maternity leave because I was really listening to my body and my body was just like, I want to slow down. And there was this part of me that really wanted to slow down. I was like, I want to connect to being pregnant. I don't want to just be running around and like miss this experience. I want to actually be in it and I want to feel it and I want to connect to my baby and I want to feel them kicking and I want to just have this like beautiful experience because it's so short. It's so short that you're pregnant for nine months, you know, it's like a blip. And I just saw like, I could get the bird's eye view, and I saw one, that one path, like, here's what it's going to look like if you just keep going this fast. But here's another way where you can slow down and you can be in it and you can feel more, and you can take a sabbatical. And that was such an amazing thing to do. And I spent all this time crafting emails and canceling work and, you know letting my clients know I was going on hold, and I got to move through this big fear piece around, if I step back, the whole thing's going to fall apart. If I step back, I'm going to become irrelevant. No one's going to pay attention to my work. I'm never going to like have another client again. I mean, so much fear, so much fear, but I moved through it and I sat with it and I was like, yeah, there's that fear, but this is what I want. And so here's how I'm going to show up. And it really ties into what we talked about in the beginning. It's like, how can I show up in a way that's vulnerable and honest and just let people know what's going on? Hey, I'm pregnant and I want to enjoy this. I want to just be in this and I mean, honestly, the responses that I got from people just brought me to tears. The way that everyone showed up, my corporate clients, my regular clients, my students, like everyone was like, yes, how can we support you? And I was like, oh, right. And I had so many clients reach out to me and they were like, you are leading by example. They were like, you have no idea how much I needed to hear this, that it's okay to take a break, that it's okay to like put yourself first. And then it's okay to put your body first right? In a way that's really what we're talking about. And there's not a lot of that modeled in our culture. And it just became really clear to me. And that's been a big piece for me as a parent too. It's like, how can I show up and model this in a way that I would want it to be modeled? How can I say, Hey, you know what? I posted on Instagram once in the last two weeks and it's okay. It's Mm -hmm. okay. Like it's fine and it's actually better.
1: (laughs) It's true. And I think that that's what's difficult is that we do need more of these people really allowing themselves to set an example, but also just be compassionate with themselves. I mean, I've found that like, even with this podcast, like every summer, I take a month or two off, and I never know how long it's going to be. And could I make the space for it? Absolutely. Do I have the time for it? Yes. But I also need that time to connect with myself, to regroup. And there's totally a fear that, like, oh, other people are going to get ahead and it's not a good idea to take a break. And, you know, I have all those thoughts too. But then I remind myself, what, what example do I need from the world? And sometimes you have to be that person, even if you wish somebody else could be the one to inspire you.
0: That's so true. I was listening to an interview with Elizabeth Gilbert and she was talking about that. This gentleman was asking her about like basically living in public. Right. And you go through these experiences and, you know, we both have that to a degree. It's like, what do you choose to share? And what do you not share? And that kind of a thing. And her response was so beautiful. And she's like, you know, honestly, it's like, there's no way for me to quantify that. Like I go by my intuition and sometimes I like hit it out of the park. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, that wasn't the best. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's, it's all learning. And but the thing that she said that just really struck me, she's like, you know, I do this and I share this in public. She's like, because it's a service. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. It's a service. And however we show up in the public way is a service. And it's important for all of us to remember that, that we all need each other to be modeling that and to be showing up in that way.
1: Absolutely. So if people want to learn more about you, if they want to attend one of your retreats or connect with you, where's the best place for them to do that?
0: So the best place is through my website, ashleynees.com or over on Instagram, at Ashley underscore niece. Those are the two places where I hang out the most.
1: So I'm just going to take a moment here to tell everyone to go follow you because you're one of my favorite people. Just everything you post resonates with me. And I just know that there's so much intention and truth behind all of it. And it's just beautiful to have that as an example. And I'm just really grateful for you. So I'm sure there are times when you struggle with your own relationship with social media, but know that you are of service to other people, because it certainly impacted me. Thank you so much. It means a lot to hear that. Thank you so much for coming on the show today for sharing your journey for sharing more about breathwork. And for being an inspiration to me, I'm very grateful for you. You're on my gratitude list.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And Thank you so much for having me. I am so just delighted by our conversation. It was really fun and meaningful to me. So thanks.
1: Huge thank you to Ashley for coming on the show today and for sharing more about her journey. If you guys want to check out some of Ashley's work and also See her for a session. She is in the Bay Area and she has pop ups and she has a retreat coming up in January, which I'm hoping to be able to go on. We'll see. We'll see if I can make it work. But make sure you head to ashleyniece.com and you can find all of that info there. She really is so so wonderful. I actually ran into her a few weeks ago and it was just the best seeing her and just being in her presence. If you guys want to support the show or if you're enjoying these episodes, are excited about upcoming season five make sure you leave a review on itunes and hit that subscribe button that way you never miss an episode i know i took a few weeks off there but we should be pretty consistent for the next little while with a new episode each wednesday but hit that subscribe so that it shows up in your feed And if you guys want to continue the conversation here on the show, make sure you head over to facebook.com slash group slash THM Tribe to connect with a like-minded community of people who are also passionate about wellness, taking care of their body, but in a healthy and sustainable way. Like I say... I'm all about living healthfully, not living for your health. So finding a way to be able to create sustainable rituals and routines that work for you, even if they look so different on somebody else. But having a support group is amazing, so make sure you check out the THM tribe. As for me, this month is kind of all over the place. I have a Wedding to attend which i'm very much looking forward to I am going to be traveling for my 30th birthday I'm taking my first solo trip I haven't never traveled by myself before and I will be totally transparent I'm going to like a wellness retreat So it's not exactly like i'm discovering a, a new country by myself But kurt is traveling during that time and I found myself with a couple days with not a whole lot to do and a 30th birthday to celebrate. So I'm going to treat myself and looking forward to celebrating with friends when I get back, which is weird to hear me say because I'm someone who really does not celebrate their birthdays at all. I'm always just alone with Kurt or with my family. And this year, I just feel like it's really monumental. And we take for granted the fact that we have another year on this planet and giving yourself the space and the time and the celebration of, you know, making it to a certain point in your life. And quite honestly, I haven't just made it. I just feel really proud of who I am and what I've achieved, even if I really don't know who I am at all. And I'm kind of in that process of figuring it out. It's funny because when I think back to my 20s, I was like, oh, by 30, I'll have it all figured out. And the one thing I know for certain is that you don't ever really have it figured out. And maybe I will by 40. I'm kind of hoping it works out in that way. But as of right now, I'm like, okay, I have a bit more clarity in that we're constantly learning and evolving, but, you know, getting there may never happen and that's okay. So, you know, a little a little peace of mind in that area, but definitely not 20 anymore. Feeling 30 and excited about that and excited to celebrate. But next week on the show, we are having a conversation that kind of brings me back to that point in my life, to my early 20s, struggling with an eating disorder and exercise addiction and a lot of self-worth stuff. And honestly, the self-worth stuff, still working on that, but fortunately, am able to reflect back on my history with disordered eating and exercise and know that I made it through and That comes through with my conversation with Lex Daddio from Restoring Radiance. She is someone who I deeply admire. She is such a joy to connect with and follow. And I know a lot of you guys are excited to hear from her as well. So stay tuned for that conversation next week. And with that, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And I will speak with you again soon. Have a good one. Bye.